My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. So as we get started uh, this morning, I just want to kind of start us off with the question of what is it, what is it that is going to convince you to believe that Jesus is Lord? What does it mean to believe? What does it really mean to believe? We've been sitting in this now for a couple weeks. This is our eighth week in this Believe series, and we're talking about this word believe. And so what does it really mean to believe? Where are you in your belief of following Jesus? Truly, where are you? Where are you in this? We've talked about different concepts, different ways, different areas of what it means to believe. Where are you? And you may still be struggling because the truth is that believe is hard to define. It really is. Believe is such a tough, difficult word to define as we've been talking throughout the weeks. But the truth is, is where we see believe happens in the most tangible way, where we can kind of see it happen and transform is in someone's story is in someone's story of coming to know Jesus and surrender their life to Jesus because we have this point A, this, this point in time before Jesus entered their life, and then we have point B, which is after Jesus. So we see the transformation. We see them become a new creation. We see them come and die to their old self. We see it. It's easy. It's tangible. We can grab that kind of belief and say, yes, they, they believe. I, I see belief happening right in front of me. And so as we think about that word and as we, as we do that and through the stories of people, I want to talk about my story a little bit up here this morning. And I, I shared a little bit two weeks ago, um, kind of an overview. And I just want to come into one specific part of my story, um, one question in general. And as I shared a couple weeks ago is my most monumental time in my faith journey of walking and following Jesus was my, was my senior year of college as I struggled with uh, depression, anxiety, and ways that were super debilitating. Um, it hit me out of nowhere. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Um, some of you have been there worse in different ways. And um, the, I just want to let you know that I, I hurt with you and I, I feel with you. Um, but God, uh, continued to meet me in that journey, met me in a special way. Um, one of the hardest things to do is why I, I entered this space is because I had the hardest time forgiving myself. I had the hardest time believing that I was forgiven. You want to come back to that word, believe I had the hardest time believing that, that God forgave me, that the people that I hurt forgave me, that all these people really forgave me the belief of forgiveness that's such a tough thing. Like, you, you want to believe it. You want to believe it, but do you really believe it? 
And so as I walked that journey, there was a moment in the journey where I remember talking with my now wife, Annie, and I, and I, I looked at her as I was you know, in this moment of pursuing Jesus, and I asked her this question, which is kind of the question we're going to wrestle with today in the passage of Scripture, which is, you know, why were there so many miracles in Jesus' time and we don't see them today? You know, why, why do we not see those same amount or same kind of miracles? Because it'd be nice if we did. Like, it'd be really nice. Like, I think all of us would be like, hey, I'm just going to take a walk on the water, you know? Like, we would all love to have that moment. Like, if we experienced walking on the water, we would be like, man, I'm convinced. I believe, right? Or if we were sitting there and we watched someone who was lame their entire life get up and finally walk for the first time, right? We see that happen right before us. We'd be like, man, that'd be awesome. Like, that'd be so cool, right? And then to watch this, like, Jesus come in and, and feed this entire room and everyone watching online and get, with just a few loaves of bread. Like, if we could see that happen, that would be a moment of convincing, right? Like, we'd be like, sign me up. That's what I want to do. Um, if, I could, if I could just see that miracle right in front of me, then I would believe. And so the question we're going to be faced with today is, what is it, what is it going to take for you to believe? Like, seriously, what is it really going to take for you to believe? And we're going to talk about in terms of committing your life to Jesus and surrendering to him, but also what does it take for you to believe and trust God in areas where maybe you haven't been trusting him all along, even in the midst of this. So um, I want to kind of enter into the story a little bit by uh, going backwards. And what I mean by that is I want to go to last week. I want to take a review of last week because it's so important to how we enter the story today. Last week, Pastor James talked about the Samaritan woman and Jesus' encounter with with her and that Jesus had to go through Samaria. And so Jesus goes through Samaria, which is where a place where most of the Jews would avoid because of a difference in beliefs. But he has to go through there. He goes with his disciples. He meets this woman at the well, and they have this powerful encounter. Now, what simply happens is Jesus listens to her, and then Jesus tells her, it speaks into details about her life that the average person wouldn't have been privy to. And then he offers her living water. And all of a sudden, that interaction, that moment, she goes running back into town, into the town there, where, where she's an outcast, where she has five husbands and, and everything else. And she goes into town and says, hey, you guys got to come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. And the whole town comes out. They see Jesus. They believe that Jesus is real. And now what I really want to draw your attention to is how many miracles were there in that moment? How many miracles? There's none. There's none. Zero, no miracles, and a whole town comes to believe in Jesus as the Messiah. And now we enter the story today with that in our rearview mirror, as John, our gospel writer, is going to contrast the differences. So let's, let's enter the story here. It says, at the end of two days, Jesus went on to Galilee. He himself had said that a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. So we see this is at the end of two days. He spent two days there in Samaria. Now he's moved up more north into Galilee, into Jewish territory. And so this is more familiar. But yet this, this comment is made. It says, he himself had said that prophets, a prophet is not honored in his own hometown. He's speaking about himself. And now hometown could mean very many things. Uh, a lot of commentators debate about it. But what we're going to take from this is in the sense of that Jesus is not welcomed on his own Jewish turf. 
That's where he's not welcomed. And what what he's saying by that is he is not recognized as the Messiah. He's not recognized as the Son of God. Yet he just came from a place, the Samaritans, a different religious belief, who immediately came to believe in him upon hearing this woman's testimony, story. All right? And so now we enter into the scene, and Jesus is coming in to Galilean territory, to Jewish territory, his own home territory where he grew up. And people are coming to him, it says, even though they don't believe he's the Messiah. So why are they coming to him, right? They're coming to him because Jesus has been performing miracles. Jesus has been pushing back on the religious system. And so they've watched this and they've seen everything that he's done there in these spaces and in these places. And as we'll find out, we'll get to our next verse here. Go ahead. It says, as he traveled through Galilee, he came to Cana where he had turned the water into wine. So therefore, from a couple, if we look at a couple weeks ago and we went through the miracle of water turning into wine, we see that the news of this has probably rippled into the community. It's at the same place. That's where he's at. So therefore, Jesus is seen as the miracle worker, as the person who can turn water into wine, as the guy who went into the temple and said, hey, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Man, this is what they see in him and they're seeking him out. They're excited that he's here. They're welcoming him in because he is a miracle worker. They're seeking signs. They're there for the thrill. They're excited that he's there. So then it says, there was a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged Jesus to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. Now we see this, this moment comes and we, it, it zooms in on this government official. And what I'd like to say John is doing with us here, the writer, is he's saying, hey, this is what the crowd looks like. This is kind of an up close of really how the crowd views Jesus as the miracle worker. This government official walks up, he comes close, and he says, hey, I need you to perform a miracle. My son is about to die. He's desperate. He's come to the right person. He's come to the right place, and he's pleading with Jesus to come. And, man, if we look at this, it goes, okay, man, it seems like he's there for the right reasons, but Jesus is going to draw attention to the fact that he's coming because of the wrong kind of belief. So let's look at the next verse. It says, Jesus asked, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Jesus is addressing, when he says you in there, he's speaking to the official, but he's also probably speaking to what is a crowd around this moment. And this crowd is seeing this um, form. And so he's speaking to all of them and saying, hey, you guys, you guys are welcoming me just because I turned water into wine, because I can do signs. You're, you, you're welcoming me because I'm adding value to your life. I'm almost like a commodity, not because of who I am, but because of what I do. And, and so he's saying this to them. He's saying, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Basically, if we, if we took that another way, it's saying, what is it going to take for you to believe? What is it going to take for you to believe? And as much as he's saying that to the crowd and the government official, he's saying that to us in this room online. He's saying, that. He's saying what is it going to take for you to believe? What is it really going to take now i i want to be careful not to skim over this the miracles piece because i think it's really important i really do because our whole faith is built around the greatest miracle ever the fact that a guy goes to the cross he dies for the sins of the world he rises from the dead three days later 
And we put our faith in that. We trust that. That death has been conquered. That we can live victoriously and righteously in Christ. That's what, that, we believe in that miracle. Our whole lifestyle, faith, belief, everything is around a miracle. So miracles are an essential part of our faith. Which leaves us back to this question of going, okay, we kind of understand maybe a little bit of where the crowd's coming from. Of going, hey, show us another miracle. Show us, show us something more. And the truth is, though, as we, as we kind of look at this, we would understand from the story that a miracle is never enough. A miracle is not a bad thing, but it's never enough. Because what these people are coming for is they're coming to be, to be teased. They're seeking thrill. They want another miracle, and then they'll believe. Right? But the truth is, they don't always. And so Jesus is addressing this like, hey, you're not... Like, is a miracle really going to get you to believe? Is a miracle really going to convince you that I'm the Messiah? Because that's the most important thing. Not the miracle, not the action, but the identity of who I am. And so as we see that, I, I want to point out what, I, what, we, what are three really important things behind miracles and why we see them so often in the Bible and why God uses them. So let's do this. Miracles authenticated God's message and his messengers. We see this, if we go all the way, I mean, we can see this multiple places, but the one I want to draw your attention to is in Exodus. And Moses is, has to go back to his people and say that he had this encounter with God. And he's going, he's telling, telling God this. He's like, God, how are they going to believe that you actually came to me and you're sending me? And he goes, take your staff, throw it, it'll become a snake. So the supernatural happens. It's like, whoa. God is saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove that you're my messenger and I'm going to prove my message by showing this miracle. Right? So we see that in one instance. Then we see miracles are authenticated. Uh, they authenticate Christ as the deliverer of salvation. Just a few weeks ago, we were talking about Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, in the, in the second verse of the story, actually says to Jesus, he says, it's clear that God is with you because of your miraculous signs. So, so, the, so the, actually the miracles are, are solidifying who Christ is and what he's come to do. And then lastly, the miracles also point to God's kingdom and the restoration of creation. Now I want to go to my friend Tim Keller here because I love the way he puts it and it leads into this last point. He says, miracles, they lead not simply to cognitive belief, but to worship, to awe and wonder. Jesus' miracles in particular were never magic tricks designed only to impress and coerce. Instead, he used miracles, miraculous powers, to heal the sick, feed the hungry, and raise the dead. Why? We modern people think of miracles as a suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. Jesus uses miracles to place things back to the way they were designed. And I think oftentimes we want to see a miracle or, or wonder why there's not miracles today. And I, I'm gonna, I don't have all your answers for you. That's not, that's not what I'm claiming to do. But I want to tell you some things that, that is often said is that there was a lot of people alive during the biblical times that never saw the miracles. There was a lot of people around during those times. They never saw them. You know, and then we look at this and, and we see the the truth of this being the fact that we don't see miracles today. And I would, I would argue with some of that is because man, we are so distracted today. We, we are so distracted. And I don't want to say they're not going on, but then also beyond that, every miracle we see today, 
I think we try to explain it away. Information is so at our fingertips more than it's ever been. You can Google search anything. You can check everything I'm saying right now. You can figure out the components of water. You can do all these things. I get it. Some of this is top, but we have information available in a way that was never available before. And yet, man, we just want to explain it away why something happens or take our doubts and insert them. Well, this could have happened because of this. Now, I don't want to get off on this, but I just, I just want to explain how the fact is we can, we can easily find ourselves working our way, seeing miracles in front of us, and then explaining them away the next moment. And I think that's really challenging because the truth is, I think a lot of us go, man, if I could just see a miracle, I would be convinced. But really what Jesus is after is not our desire for a miracle. It's our desire and need for him. And that's where he brings us official. Let's see this. It says, official pleaded, Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Jesus told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Jesus said and started home. Now, I want to sit here in these two verses for just a moment because I believe there's something super powerful that goes on. There's a change of heart that happens in this government official. He comes to Jesus because he wants a miracle. He wants his son to be healed. And we all get that. We, we, we all enter tough moments in life and we want Jesus to show up. We want him to heal. We want him to do what we want him to do for us, right? And we see this. And he's, and what happens is, sorry, what happens is this guy shows up on the scene, he begs for his boy, and then Jesus says, hey, go back home, your son will live. The man was coming to Jesus as a miracle worker to seek him out, to get him to do the miracle, to get him to come back with him to Capernaum from Cana to do this miracle. What we see though is this man goes to Jesus, he goes back to Capernaum without Jesus. But something happens, right? Because he all of a sudden, Jesus says, go, your son will live. And it says he believed. He believed. He believed those words. He believed who Jesus was. Now, you, you only believe someone's words if you trust who they are. And so we see this man who shows up viewing Jesus as a miracle worker, but leaves believing that he is the Messiah. There's a change. There's a change that happens here. There's a belief that happens in his heart. There's a crossing of the threshold that says, I came for one reason, but I'm leaving with salvation. You guys see that? You see that happening in here? He's coming because of his needs. He's leaving because he's trusting in Jesus and his word. And so this man starts home, and this is my favorite part about all of this, because he starts home, and I can only imagine the doubt that comes into mind if he's walking home alone or if he's with a couple people and he's got 20 miles to go. I mean, it's 20 miles from town to town. He's going to begin this journey, a day's walk. And I can only imagine the doubts and the fears and the things of, well, <laughs> am, I, am I crazy believing this guy? I mean, his son's life is in his hands. And this guy goes and he takes a step of faith, which tells me that Many of us in this room need to realize that faith grows as we use it. That we got to use our faith. That we have to step into it. Watch how God meets him along the way. It says, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. He asked them, when the boy had begun to get better, and they replied, 
Yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Keep going. Then the father realized that this was the very time Jesus had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household believed in Jesus. This was the second miraculous sign Jesus did in Galilee after coming from Judea. He takes one step and starts walking home. Takes a step of faith, trusting Jesus, trusting that he's the Messiah. And all of a sudden he's met along the way by one of his servants who says, hey, your your son's doing well. He didn't see that when he left. He didn't know that for certain, but he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. He's trusting in Jesus' words. He trusted those words. Your son will live. And as he goes on this journey, as he takes that step of faith, as he's trusting Jesus, he's met along the way with the news that his son is healing. Man, I think that's a beautiful illustration of the fact that faith grows as we use it. That this, that this government official is on this journey walking back and the doubts and the, all this stuff creep in, but yet as he meets his servant to find out that his son is well, it's like, can you imagine where his faith went in that moment? It says the whole, the whole household came to believe. Like that's where this goes. Because he took a step I think that's such a powerful illustration for some of us how God is calling us to take a step of faith and trust him in certain areas of our life or trust him by believing in him as the Messiah or as the Son of God and saying he'll he'll meet us along the way. And I think the struggle that happens for many of us is we, we, we come to God and we come before Jesus and we have this approach to him where we go, if you do blank, then I will. If, if you do this, and this is, this is kind of the sentence we use when we approach him, we go, we have something in mind. We're coming to God as the miracle worker. We're coming to God as the genie in a lamp. That's what we're wanting. And we're saying, hey, if you do this, th- then I'll believe. Then I'll believe you're real. Then I'll believe you're the Messiah. And, and I'll trust you more. And I think this happens in two areas of our life that we, that, or not two areas. I want to say this happens for two crowds that are, that are listening here. There's some of us who don't believe in Jesus, who are wrestling or on the verge. And we're, we're going, man, can I trust God? Can I trust Jesus? How do I surrender my life? I don't know if I can. I still got doubts. And then there's those of us in the room who are watching, who have, who have put our trust in Jesus. We have trusted Jesus. We, we believe him to be the Messiah, the son of God. But yet we still approach God with this same sentence of, if you do this, then I'll do this. And that should make us reevaluate some areas in our life where we might not be trusting God. Where we don't have the faith, where we're not giving him our faith. We're not trusting him at his word. We're not trusting the scripture for what it says. We might have a child at home and it's, it's a mess. Like things aren't going well. The relationship is fractured and God's asking you to soften your heart and you'll go, God, I'll soften my heart once they soften theirs first. And God's like, no, 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 you take the first step. Some of us, we have relationships that are beyond repair right now. Some things that are hurting and, and falling apart in this, in this world. And we're going, I, God, I can't forgive them. I'm not going to let that go. If God, if they come to me and seek forgiveness, then I will forgive them. And I will ask for forgiveness as well. And God's going to take the first step. 
take the first step. And some of us are, we're coming to God. Finances is a big thing right now in this season, right? There's people without jobs, unemployment rate, all these kinds of things. And, and I personally think wherever you're at in this journey, there's never a better time than to learn how to steward your money. And I believe a lot of times we come to God and go, hey, God, if you get me that job or if you get me that raise, then I'll, I'll give some of my money back or I'll, I'll use it to be generous to others. Like, but, but you got to do this first. And I believe God goes, take the first step. Take the first step. I'll meet you along the way, but take the first step. Some of us, we're, we're, we're single or we're engaged or we're, we're pursuing that relationship. We're pursuing marriage and hopes of marriage. That's where, that's where we'd like to go. And, and we're going, okay, God, I will... I will honor you with my sex life if you bring the right person first. I will honor you by submitting to you in these areas of my life if you bring it. And God says, take the first step. Take the first step. See, what, what, Je- <laughs> what Jesus is getting at in this moment is he's going, what will it take for you to believe? What's it going to take? What is it going to take for you to believe and trust Jesus in these areas of your life? What is it going to take for you to surrender that, to take the first step of belief and trusting him? And then there's those of us in the room who are still wrestling with doubt, and we're going, Lord, I I, want to believe, but I'm still unsure. And if we can learn anything from this story, we should remember that there's this, this character, this government official, he noticed Jesus. He was aware of him. He shows up on the scene. He's heard of him. But hearing about Jesus will not save you. Hearing about Jesus showing up the church will not do it. That's not the belief that God is talking about for eternal salvation. And then beyond that, we see that the, 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 the government official seeks out Jesus. Like he comes to him desperately pleading, saying, hey, will you help save my son? Will you do it? I mean, it's the, it's the right action. He's come to the right person. But the truth is what we see in the story is that even if you're seeking out Jesus like that, that is not the belief that Jesus or God is desiring from you. Running to God is the right answer, but it's what you do next. And that's what we see the, the, the government official believed. He believed. He took a step. He started heading home. God met him along the way. That is true belief. Not just, not just noticing Jesus and being aware. Okay, yeah, he's there. Not just running to Jesus in tough times when you need him to show up, but it's actually trusting in the fact that he is the Messiah and he takes away your sins. That's what he's after. And a lot of us struggle with this because we feel like, well, God, I need you to take the first step. Can you take the first step, God? And if I'm honest with you, and we really look at the story and we look through all the pages of the Bible and we see how it it plays out that we actually created this gap between us and God. We created this gap. 
We created the distance. We sinned. We've fallen short. And there's this big gap in between that. And what God does is he actually pursues us by coming and living and dwelling among us as Jesus. He sends his son to live and dwell among us. And so he closes the gap and he's living with us to show us what he's like and to see his character and to see what the kingdom is like. And then he goes the rest of the way and he closes that gap by sending his son to die on a cross to take care of the sin issue. That by Jesus Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice on a cross, we can come into a right relationship with God and be close. In other words, God has come 99.99% of the way. He's come this close. And all he's asking you to do is to take a step and to trust him. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's it. But God has revealed himself. He has shown himself. And he wants you to, to take that step with him. He wants you to trust him the rest of the way. He has closed so much of the gap in pursuit of you. But he will not force you to choose him. He will not force you to love him. Because that is not love, my friends. And so if that's you out there, I just want to invite you to a moment. I just want to invite you to a moment of just surrendering your life to Jesus. And maybe for some of you out there that you've already done that, maybe it's just a moment of surrendering an area of your life to Jesus that you really haven't taken that step with him on. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your head, close your eyes. And for those of you that have not put your trust in Jesus, I'm just going to ask you to, if you've never made a decision, to pray these words. Lord, I need you. I want to surrender my life to you. I have sinned and and fallen short of your perfect standard. But you still pursued me through your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on a cross for the sins of the world. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. And he conquered death. I believe that. And now that I believe that, I want to make you Lord of my life. I want to surrender. I want to trust you. I want to cross that threshold. I don't want to just notice you anymore. I don't want to just seek you in tough moments anymore. But I I want to come fully into your arms And believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who can take away my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, maybe you are, uh, that was you in here. I just, I'm going to invite the prayer team up in this moment. If we've got any prayer team members in here, we don't always get to do this anymore just because of situations and circumstances. Um, But if you're in the room, I'm just going to have the prayer team come forward. I know the worship's loud and everything, but I would invite you to come forward and just pray. Maybe, Maybe you surrendered your life. Man, we invite you to just come up and talk with us. Maybe you just need to surrender an area of your life that you haven't trusted God with. And you're like, I just need help taking the step. That's the church. That's why we're here, not to judge or condemn, but to walk together. 
and it'll be loud up here. So pull a member and, and go to the side of the room and just talk. We got mask on. I want to honor social distancing. I want to, I want, we want to take your needs into consideration, but we also know that, man, we are, the decision made in that moment is so much bigger than anything else. To surrender and to trust Jesus with your life, man, that's everything. And if you're online, man, we got, we got a pastor on there. He's available to talk with you. We'll call you up. We'll direct message. We'll do whatever we need to do to walk with you on stream because you cannot do it alone. That is why we have the church, a body of people pursuing Jesus together, imperfect, but we have the perfect bride of Christ. Perfect Jesus. So while we're the imperfect bride, we have a perfect savior. So let's run to him. Love you guys. If you want to get up and worship from wherever you're at, I'm going to invite you to your feet to just worship and respond to Jesus and what he's doing in here.